Welcome to the Superintendent Radio Network and the first episode of our new podcast, Beyond the Page, designed to go even deeper into the stories you'll read every month in Golf Course Industry Magazine. I'm your host, Matt Lowell, Managing Editor of Golf Course Industry Magazine. Today on this first episode of Beyond the Page, we'll talk with Drew Miller. He's on the cover of the November issue. He's also the young, energetic leader of the Brentsville High School Turfgrass Program, Turfgrass Tigers. He leads more than 200 high school students on a very well-organized and pretty incredible high school turfgrass program. We have Judd Spicer on the program as well. He's a contributing writer out of California. He visited Las Vegas recently and talked to the quartet of superintendents about the challenges that they face that maybe some others around the country do not. And we'll be joined by our own greenkeeper, America's greenkeeper, Matthew Wharton, who recently traveled abroad with his wife, Mrs. Greenkeeper, to Ireland, where he played six rounds in six days and never hopped in a cart. We'll have all that and a little bit more coming up right after the break. Our first guest on our first episode of Beyond the Page is not a golf superintendent. It's Drew Miller. He's the head of the turf program at Brentsville High School down in Virginia, Prince William County. Perhaps the greatest high school turf program in the country, and he's the subject of our November cover story written by a great, great contributor to the magazine, Lee Carr, who is also in the studio with us today. Drew, Lee, hi to you both. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing this morning? Doing great. Lee? I'm well. Thank you. Fantastic. So, Drew, this is a, a little bit of an unusual story for golf course industry in that it is not about a golf course per se. Your students are doing a lot of work on golf courses, but of the 200 students you have, a lot of them are focused a lot on sports turf, on fields. Uh, golf is in there, but it's not just golf. If you could... Just dive in a little bit to what you do and and how you develop this incredible program with 200 high school students who have a real passion for for turf and agronomy. So, uh, yeah, I actually started, uh, this is my third year teaching. Um, When I first started, we had about 75 kids in the agriculture program. Um, And when I took over, they sort of wanted a new direction uh because of the jobs and the jobs that were available in the northern virginia area it was more focused on landscaping and turf grass and all that um so when i took the job i actually was forced into applying for the job believe it or not i was heading back to pittsburgh to work for uh my former bosses uh with the steelers and pirates but i sort of fell into this job and when we first started off uh we I really wanted to make sure that everyone understood that this is for turf grass management. It's what I'm passionate about. Um, And when we really got started, um, we didn't have much, and we still really don't have that much when it comes to equipment and everything that we could be doing. Uh, We sort of started to develop this curriculum based off the state competencies given where we're getting kids hands-on learning, making sure they understand what they're doing, when it comes to machinery, when it comes to the actual science behind it. Um, We started with uh, 
developing the actual levels in which they go. So with each year, this is a program that you have one class uh, every other day for the year, and then you're going to the next level. So freshman year is like horticulture science, where we teach a lot of the basic plant science. Uh, we have a greenhouse we work in. Um, really give them that aspect of what the green industry has to offer. Uh, the sophomore year, you have your turf management class. So we do a lot of different things uh, from obviously we have our sports fields here and that's it's not the main focus but that is what we have available to us um and we really get um them going with painting schemes uh and actually last year we won uh sports turf managers field of the year for football and the kids come up with their own designs and it's not just the painting they do the mowing fertilizing they take care of pretty much every aspect when it comes to turf grass management um which is what when I took the job, I said, this is what I need to be able to do so that it's not only just me teaching a few kids how to do things, but me empowering the kids and telling them, hey, you are able to do this. And this is a amazing industry that reaches so much further than you actually think. Um, and that's really what we got into um, with the turf classes. Junior year is landscape one, where we sort of go into and dive into landscape design and the actual use of the machinery. So with weed eaters and everything, like I said, with Lee, we uh, take care of all of our landscapes and surrounds at our school building, but also there's a school building on the road that we take care of with all of their landscaping needs. Um, and then senior year, they get to pick between uh, landscape two and turf two, where they are going to pick which one they would prefer to begin their careers or prefer just in class general but with that that's more of a we've got the basics down we're getting into the nitty-gritty type of stuff um and just being able to show them what the possibility is and how they can actually take this and make a career out of it they can either go straight out of high school into a job they can go into college get a two-year or four-year degree and it's just something that when I first started, I did not see it growing this fast, and it's been great. So, Like you said, in three years, you've gone from 75 kids to about 200 kids. You've also gone from when you took over, you didn't even have a weed eater. Is that right? Uh, we had one weed eater one that weed was eater. from the 90s, as <laughs> I say. <laughs> uh, we, had a, we had a broken-down push mower, and we had uh, the old self-operated reel mower, the walk behind that you had to sort of push with your chest to get it going, <laughs> not uh, not with the motor or anything. So, yeah, we were we started with very, very little. We've, had, we've been very lucky with donations from the Farm Bureau Insurance Company. We ended up buying a Toro Z Master and Grandstand mower. The county has supported us through a couple different things with things like weed eaters, backpack blowers, and our triplex mower. But, again, yeah, we had barely anything when we first started, so we've come a long way in just two years. And the kids, too, like you said, you started with 75. Now it's it's 200 in a, in a school of 1,000, which is just an astounding number. And is it about 40% girls, right? Yeah, so we do have a very good split when it comes to male-female, which when we started off, I think my first year when I started, it was probably like 80-20, maybe less. But... What we do, 
with the program in our county, technically we're known as a transfer specialty program. So if you are anywhere in the county, and we're one of the biggest counties in the country when it comes to education-wise, uh, you are able to transfer to Brentsville uh, for this program to take the classes for us specifically, but then they would take their core classes in the building. But with the split and everything, we've had a lot of recruitment from within where students hear about the program and experiences that other kids have had. And it's from my experience so far, the females are the ones that really get excited about it, hearing it from other people. And I really think that's what's contributed to the big growth in the uh, female population in the program. And with that being said, I do have about five, six girls who have applied to go to college for turf grass and really are interested in doing this with their lives. A good person that I share the story with is Nicole Sherry. She's the head groundskeeper for the Baltimore Orioles. I actually contacted her and she contacted me a few weeks back and we were talking about how these girls actually are Honestly, when it comes to workers and seeing what they've done with this program in the two or three years that they've been in it, they are beyond leaps and bounds beyond what I even what I was when I was a sophomore in college. You know, when I first started my career in surfers. So, I mean, it's it's crazy, and I think it's awesome. And obviously, on the golf maintenance side, but in turf too, there are some great great women but they are underrepresented as, as a percentage of the population. I love this quote. Uh, this did not, I don't think, make it into the final version of the story, but girls are making fewer mistakes than the guys do because they're more meticulous and they're not as reckless. The girls aren't afraid to get their hands dirty, which is awesome, and it just makes the program that much better. What, what a great thing, just, just to have that many uh, girls, that level of, of male-female balance and, and just showing everybody, hey, this is not... The industry might be male-dominated, but, you know, it, it is for everybody. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, with uh, they're always hesitant with me. They're like, I, I really want to do this, but, I mean, how many people are out there? I'm like, well, the thing is is that if you get out there and you're showing all these guys up, it's not it's not going to be a male-female thing. It's going to be you're the better groundskeeper, and you're going to get further than the guy next to you, you know, which, again, they, they're awesome. I mean, they have... Again, the meticulous. When you're concerned about putting a 15-year-old on a real mower, and you're sending kids out, and you're like, "Oh man!" And then a girl walks up, and she puts down a perfect line, makes sure everything's mowed, and you're just like, "Okay, well, I have her to mow fields when I'm not there." So they, I send them out all the time without supervision. I mean, it's it's awesome. You said a few minutes ago that a lot of these kids are ahead of where you were even as a sophomore in college. You're a, a Virginia Tech alum, and you graduated from that program with, was it two or three other kids? And now you've got ten kids just from <laughs> Brentsville High School who are applying to that yes, program? Yes. Actually, technically, I graduated by myself. There was no one in my graduating <laughs> class in December. Well, see, so you were a class of one, you were valedictorian, but you also had the worst GPA. Yes, that's a factual <laughs> statement. That's a great way of putting it. And my GPA was not amazing. I had an amazing high school GPA. I graduated with a 4.6 in high school. I'm not going to tell you my college GPA. <laughs> um, but I, it's, and that's, it's been great. We work with Virginia Tech, Penn State, and now Maryland, as uh, Lee was talking about earlier. We 
have had a great support system from them. They're very interested in the kids. The kids love talking to them. I have a girl who literally has decided that her life is going to be Dr. Goatley. She wants to be a doctor in turf grass because of just the conversations she's had with Dr. Goatley and the visits and everything with that. So she's working right now at uh, Community College to transfer to Virginia Tech to start her bachelor's in it and then start her master's and it's I I was in shock when she told me I was like how do you know this like already you know I don't know maybe it maybe it's an issue of kids being more focused or just kind of knowing earlier or you're able to dive in a little bit more like like you said they know more at 15 or 16 than you might have known at 20 and so they're able to make a more informed decision just on this is fantastic I like this I like working outside I like working with uh with turf and and let's go so and that's that's a big thing for like our class. I my my goal is uh, when we first start school, I, we're treating it like a workplace. You know, they're inexperienced people that were just hired off the street. You are going 100 miles per hour day one um, because there's too much work outside that we have to get done for athletic events and for different things when it comes to landscaping and showing them that this is what happens when you enter a work the workforce um not just with turf but with any job that you don't have any experience in um and by providing them the opportunity to use this type of machinery at such a young age and making sure that they understand everything safety-wise before they get on the machines. And my, my thing is, with the program, we are creating students who are more aware of certain things that most people wouldn't when first starting a job in the industry. And with all of it, I mean, we do our best to do that. But then, so right around now, actually, uh, in this this week coming up, we have a playoff game that we will paint for and prep the field and then prep the field for winter uh, with growth tarps and everything. But once that's done, we are inside for good because we can't take kids out after uh, it's 32 degrees as a high, you know. Even though we know that's the industry and you got to get work done at whatever temperature, but this is a high school and there's liability issues with that. So just being able to give them the opportunity to do all that, but then bringing them inside and teaching them all the different aspects of turf grass management, diving into all the diseases and the pests and the fertilizer, irrigation, showing them everything that we do outside has a purpose. And being able to have them have that understanding at such a young age even if they only remember some of what we're going over, it's more than I knew when I first started my job uh, on the ground at Virginia Tech. You know, it's just something that we strive for here is by prepping them with the hands-on learning, but giving them the scientific background so that they understand that the reason we're doing this actually is more important than just hey, we're cutting the grass. You know. Well, and I think from talking with, speaking with you and the kids, that that's one of the things that the kids are really enjoying is that they're learning so much more than just, like you said, kind of how to do the landscaping or take care of the grass. They're involving science, math, the sports that they care so much about. As you know, um, being a superintendent, it covers so many disciplines, and I think the kids are really enjoying that. Yeah, I really, my thing is, and I, I talked about this with a few other people. I The reason I do what I do is because those kids that are really, really interested and really have a passion for it, and I talked to Lee about it. When I have kids that are at the age of 15 to through 18, or and again, younger, we have younger kids than that, but they've already 
put so much work and dedication and passion into what we're doing just here in this program to see that and know that later on they're going to do really well in the industry because of their dedication and their excitement for what it is is really why why I do what I do, you know. And you have professional experience. I know you mentioned earlier with the Pirates and the Steelers, New York Mets as well, right? Yes. Yeah, so when I first started, I had I got a job working on the Virginia Tech grounds crew with uh, Casey Underwood, one of the best guys I've ever known. He's like a second father to me. Um, and I ended up working with the New York Mets. Uh, I had an interview at the STMA conference in Denver, and Matt Brown uh, was the assistant at in New York, and he hired me for the season in 2015 where I worked with him and Bill Deacon, who was the head groundskeeper. Uh, but the following year, Matt ended up getting the head groundskeeping job with the Pittsburgh Pirates. And he uh, he wanted, I talked to him about coming with him and the opportunity that the Pirates would have. And with there was something with they had a limited hours with certain workers and whatnot. So I, I actually ended up working for the Pirates and the Steelers sort of simultaneously, which was awesome because I got the experience of the NFL and the MLB uh, groundskeeping. And I actually, uh, with the Steelers, Chris Ecton is probably one of the top groundskeepers when it comes to the sports turf industry, and he's just one of the greatest guys you'll ever meet. And I learned, and I always tell the kids this, uh, and nothing against uh, Virginia Tech or Dr. Gilley or anything because they're awesome and I learned a lot. A lot of what I learned was hands-on with my jobs. In the moment, getting on spray rigs, getting on different equipment, knowing how to operate them, just going over things with my bosses, they would pull me aside and say, okay, so what's this type of weed? And we would go over it and why we're doing this and that and all of that. I learned more from that and working on my in work than in school. Obviously, the school is important, and there's plenty of things I learned that I wouldn't have learned on the job. But again, I always tell them there are people out there who are looking for skilled workers, not PhD candidates that have never tested a machine before, you know. And the work experience is obviously something that's very, very important. You mentioned the Baltimore Orioles. They're actually launching a summer internship. I don't know if you've seen this. They're launching a summer internship in concert with. Trinity Forest Golf Club, uh, one of the oh, really? That's really, awesome. really great private clubs down in the Dallas area. The superintendent there is Casey Koff, friend of the magazine. And I'm sure there's been a lot of communication with teams, with golf clubs. What's, what's the reaction been like from superintendents or baseball or football groundskeepers who see what these kids are doing at 15, 16, 17, like, hey, come back to me in a year or two years We've got internships. Come back to me in five years. We've got jobs for you. Has there been a lot of positive reaction from, so, from professionals? With a lot with a lot of it, there has been a very, very good reaction. And I, I, I always tell the kids, like, there's a lot more out there than just this program. And I think Scott is included in the article. With Scott Furlong and Robert Trent Jones, mm-hmm. actually, he's had, I think, over – 12, 13 kids interned for him this past summer, and a few summers before we had like three or four, and I believe one of my former students is working full-time for him, and that's just one place, and with all the other 
golf courses and we had kids working for Potomac Nationals and opportunities these kids have had. Uh, and I had a kid who uh, interned for DC United, their new Audi field. It's It's been really, really great. I think that a lot of people are surprised, really, when they first hear about it. Which, again, I <laughs> I always laugh at the reaction because it's so true, you know. Like, wh- who, who came up with the turf grass management program in high school, you know? <laughs> um, but I, it's been a great – and it's, it's awesome because I've always said it and I've always known with golf and sports surf, this industry is so tight-knit and it is unbelievable what people will do for other turf grass managers that and that's what I that's how I sort of and I I don't force my kids into doing turf as a career or what it is I do sort of recruit and I do I tell them like the people that I am very close with that are not like blood family but I consider family are former like coworkers and bosses and everything that would literally do anything that I ask when I pick up the phone and call them you know with the whole industry as a overarching it's been phenomenal i mean the support people coming out i know uh chase rogan uh i think he had a conversation with one of the uh seed reps that we have down there and he was down within a week to visit with our kids it's just great to see the interest that everyone is taking and really really being serious about it you know and i I talk about it with a lot of people like these are kids you know they're they're just learning they're very interested they're impressionable they know a lot for their age but they're still kids you know they're going to mess up they're going to make mistakes but again that is that's anyone really doesn't matter what age um like if i were to put my mother on a green mower, something would go wrong you know (laughs) um but showing the kids the opportunities and i i know scott does an amazing job of it it's what really impacts them as a kid you know it's it's understanding, and I I think I told Lee this, and I've told a lot of people this. If you give a kid five minutes of your time and talk to them about what, pretty much anything, and I talk to them about turf, that's what does it for them. By giving them the time of day is when you get the respect back. I have thir- like 15 to 18 year olds that I trust on mowers to go and mow an entire field and make sure everything is clean. You know, with that, that transfers over to the jobs that everyone is really offering the kids i've had virginia tech's offered many kids jobs as uh assistants for research you know and they're talking about high school teenagers you know like to come down during uh summer to work with them and i'm like okay well when i was in college i don't think i would trust myself to do that stuff you know but it's been a great again not just golf but in sports turf in educational realm everything a lot of people have heard and again things like this this what you guys have done for us this is really how it gets out there and that's how we get more and more support and it's it's great really we actually had the president of the sports turf mayor association came out to see the program and talk to the kids and everything and i've never heard that before and it was great uh, uh jody gill he was a great guy and he did an awesome job and a lot of kids were really interested and learned new things and it's just it's it's a really I just I love the turf grass industry because of it, you know. And to think that in less than three years you've gotten these kids on pro equipment, you've gotten them on major golf courses, on professional pitches, you're basically becoming a feeder system for Virginia Tech. You ever get a chance to just kind of step back and be like, Holy moly, what have we built in, in three years 
and what can we do in the next five or ten years? Um, I have not had a second to step back because for some reason it's going 100 miles per hour. I've told a few people this. I haven't told many people this, but, like, this was this is, like, my plan for, like, maybe year five, six of the program. You know, it's it is blown up, and I think it's awesome. And I think I've talked to Lee about this. We do have plans for the future, and we hope uh, to do a few things. We have written a grant for it. We're hoping to build the uh, first turf grass research center at a high school in the nation. So uh, we ha- we hope to find the money somewhere eventually <laughs> to house stuff, house labs, house more equipment, install putting greens. So that's the other thing that I really am trying to build here is I want every kid to have every opportunity throughout the turf industry, you know, not just sports turf, not just landscaping. So we're we've working with Virginia Tech and Penn State about different trials that we could be running. And we actually ran a dormant sprigging trial for a company on one of our practice fields. So we tested the feasibility of dormant sprig fields when it comes to this area in Northern Virginia to for their business practice, see if it's a viable option for their customers that aren't going to use a field that's in such terrible shape. They could winter, uh, we did it in February, they could dormant sprig and then it's more time for them to be working on other fields for the early summertime, late springtime. So that is that's our next big thing that we're hoping to do is to build the turf research center. We're also the other aspect that we lack in now that I really really hope we get to uh, uh, add to. Uh, we're hoping to put a workshop in the uh, turf center so that we can have a real grinder and have them teach everything so we we're very basic with our mechanic stuff because i don't have the equipment to teach them all the stuff they need to know about the equipment we do our best to try and teach what we can especially with safety and everything that goes into a mower we want to teach them how to properly grind reels and change mowing height and all that so that would be added to it and that's just a whole other aspect uh, to the industry that again i think has grown tremendously in the past few years especially in golf uh, and it might, and I know it's big, big all the time, but recognition-wise, you are your mechanics, but one of the most important people, you know, on the course. So just adding all of these different aspects, and my biggest thing right now is adding those golf greens, so that we do have the opportunity and the career option to show them here you know and we do a pretty good job of getting those kids on the courses so that they do have those opportunities because we actually have had a lot of the kids that are applying for colleges they love the sports turf and everything and it's some something that's an option but a lot of them who have gotten the internships and worked on different golf courses are the ones that want to be superintendents you know and i think it's great it's just for big big plans and the next, uh, again, I don't know how long I'll be here because I don't know how long they'll have me, but um, <laughs> we hope eventually, so like the the big, big hope is uh, we're going to hopefully construct some golf holes in the back part of our property. I don't know how many holes will fit, but just giving them the opportunity to really have the feel of taking care of a hole on a golf course is just, I think that adds a whole new element to the program and a whole new vision for the kids to see okay well this is just awesome you know even though it's a high school behind a high school and it's only like one or two holes it's something that i could do for the rest of my life if i really wanted to you know
And maybe you have one or two burgeoning golf course architects at Brentsville High School, too. That's awesome. I have had a couple of kids who are really interested in that. And another one that I've found really interesting with these kids, again, I, I don't bring some things up, and when they bring it up, it's just fascinating. I have two students who really want to be engineers for turf-specific when it comes to the mowers and everything that goes into it. And I'm like, that's awesome. I, I don't have anything in my curriculum about it, and it's just they thought about it, and they saw a video one day about Toro and their new mower and what they're doing to engineer a better uh, cut quality, and I'm sitting here like, this is awesome because this is what they really want to do, and by taking this program, they're going to have the background that they would get if they had a degree, not a degree, but they have enough backgrounds so if they go into their engineering degree, they know what they're looking for. Well, Lee, it sounds like we're going to have to get you out to uh, Brentsville for a sequel here at some point sure, soon. Sure, I would love that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Drew Miller, the head of the turf program at Brentsville High School. I'm going to say, just go out on a limb and say it's the best high school turf, turf grass program uh, in the country, and you are a one-man solution to the labor shortage in the golf and turf industry. Thank you so much for being with us. Lee Carr, thank you so much for, for coming in and talking a little bit about the story you wrote. Turf Grass Tigers, it is the cover story of the November golf course industry. It is online at GCIMagazine.com. Thanks so much for, uh, for joining us, both of you. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome back to Beyond the Page. Our second guest in this first episode, Judd Spicer, one of our regular contributors, out in California, and you've written about courses all over the world for us the last few years and, and even some international courses this year, Judd. But you have a story in the November issue, Seeds of Distraction, about Las Vegas golf courses, managing issues beyond turf is part of the game for Las Vegas superintendents. Really interesting story, and some problems that a lot of superintendents and directors of agronomy in other corners of the country don't really deal with all that often. No, they don't. It's not a particular issue or issues uh, referring from everything to gambling, to drinking, to drug use, to strip clubs. That uh, it's obviously a, a place with no shortage of vices. And I need to credit you guys, uh, namely Guy, for coming up with the idea in that, uh, as I want to do, and you referenced the, uh, the time and the travels and the contributions, uh, I usually like to, to give you guys a, a more specified pitch, uh, but for this one, I just kind of told Guy I was going to be out there. I had a few broad ideas, and he was really the one that, that specified this. And to be honest, Matt, it garnered more reaction from the superintendents with whom I spoke than I ever anticipated it would. A lot of times we talk with superintendents about labor issues, uh, primarily retention and just finding, finding good people. The work ethic doesn't normally seem to be a problem, um, but here it's just there's so many issues, and it's, it's the addiction that everybody deals with in one form or another. Some people are addicted to alcohol. Some people are addicted to far less sinister things, but I'm addicted to candy. Uh, whether it's something like gambling or alcohol 
or candy or pop. Uh, I mean, it's it, everybody has some addictive quality in them. What is it when you talked with with some of these top superintendents and directors of agronomy out in Vegas? Was there any common theme that really came up in terms of trying to help people through those addictions, Judd? You know, Matt, there really was not a common theme. And for me, that was almost a good thing because we spoke with superintendents from four different courses. And by and large, the texture and status of these courses was all markedly different. So while these fellows all live and work and manage staffs, in the same town, their experiences were all diverse and different, which I think gave the article more layers, again, more layers than I even anticipated it would. Seeds of distraction in the November issue. I don't want to take away too much from the story, because obviously if you're listening to the podcast, you're probably getting the magazine. I hope you'll read Judd's story, but the first quote, that you include in the story is just such a, a knock-you-on-your-butt quote, and it comes from Scott Sutton. Uh, he's the director of agronomy at the club at Sunrise. He's also a, a Vegas golf veteran of, of more than 40 years, and as you note in the story, the only man to carry the dual licenses of certified golf course and landscape irrigation auditor in the entire state of Nevada. So pretty cool, obviously well-qualified. His quote, My father was in the gaming industry, and one thing that always sticks in my head that my dad told me is the casinos don't keep getting bigger and bigger because they're giving money away. I stay out of the casinos. If you live here, you either learn to stay away or you don't live here very long. Man, I mean, that's, there's a reason you led with that quote. There were no shortage, in my opinion, of good, punchy, potent quotes that I received from all four of these guys. And that ended up being the biggest challenge in putting this story together was to ensure that I led with something that really was going to grab the reader. Again, no shortage of choices, but uh, I appreciate you pointing that out. I did know I wanted to lead with something uh, from Scott. He had spent the most time in Vegas as any of the four gentlemen with whom I spoke. Uh, I believe he's the only one that is a Las Vegas native. As you just referenced, he was basically born in the casino industry, and so there were Well, a lot of choices here, and I did end up going with the style on at least a few occasions as I go back through the piece, but probably four or five chunky quotes, Mm -hmm. and I think that I'll look forward to seeing the final draft to see if you guys (laughs) ended up needing to, to break some of those up. I mean, I generally do, I think, for the reader and for the for the mind's eye when you see a big chunky quote can turn you off a little bit and the eyes might glaze over but some of these were so good and there was storytelling involved and i didn't want to disrupt uh, the sources respective voices i really wanted to let them flesh these stories out so you will notice that about four or five maybe a half dozen instances where there are chunky quotes but i think it does serve the piece well because there are certainly some stories to tell you talked with with folks who they've had people who have worked to drink or work to gamble. There are people who take their paychecks and they'll just take it straight away on Friday or whatever day they get, day they get paid, go straight away and gamble it all away and have, have no place to sleep that night. In all of your travels, Judd, and you've, you've visited probably, 
probably as many courses as Guy does, and that's saying something. Have you ever come across a club or a region anywhere close to what Vegas deals with? No, I haven't. There have been sprinkles of some of the same problems that uh, these gentlemen deal with, and I'll, I'll digress here, Matt, but as recreational marijuana uh, becomes increasingly uh, legalized throughout the Union, and it certainly is where I live here in California, there is a dichotomy between certain club policies that test for marijuana and will not hire <clears throat> an employee, grounds or otherwise, if they test positive for marijuana, and the imbalance there, of course, is that it is legal. It's federally legal. So that is something I've started to hear more and more in probably the last 18 months. It's also maybe worth pointing out that that's becoming a dichotomy on the PGA Tour. Mm-hmm. We've heard some professionals from Robert Garrigus to Matt Every point out that very thing, that they live in respective states where recreational our medical marijuana use is legal, but of course the PGA Tour abides by uh, WADA World Anti-Doping Agency rules, and they've been suspended for that. So the marijuana thing is something that I've come across a little more uh, regularly of late. But as far as some of the other problems, and I'm sure we could point out a few different points in the country where the number of vices might start to touch upon what Vegas offers, But again, these were so numerous, not just the drug use, but the drinking, uh, the strip clubs, and obviously the gambling. And those were some sobering tales, and that kind of goes back to some of these longer quotes that I included. And as you referenced about dudes basically waiting for their paycheck, going immediately after work to cash said paycheck, going to a slot machine, video poker machine, going to a pie-gow table or wherever they like to, to spread their, their gambling bread, and then being bunk uh, within a short time. And in at least one instance, I think there might be two referenced herein, that they needed to go back to said supers and tell them they had no place to sleep or that they need a loan. One of the courses you wrote about and you talked with with the folks there was Shadow Creek. Shadow Creek, of course, a great Tom Fazio design. And he has a couple courses now in Vegas, in and around Vegas, including the new Wynn Golf Club right on the Strip. I don't know if you've had a chance to see it or read much about it, but Fazio's courses in Vegas, Judd, how are they perceived? Shadow Creek, obviously, a a really, really big name. Wynn obviously made some headlines and, and we added to him with the $550 peak greens fee. He seems like, like a big player, to, not to change the subject too quickly, but he seems like a pretty big player uh, in the Vegas golf world, at least from a design perspective. Yeah, and I believe that we can add uh, the Summit Club to the sure. list. I want to say that that's a, a Tom Fazio design uh, as well. That is also pretty high octane as far as the price tag. What you pointed out, which is, I think, the first thing that comes to mind for that trio of courses, is that they're not necessarily there for the guy that's just looking to, to go <laughs> knock it around and uh, get out of the casino for a couple hours. Um, it's my understanding, and I uh, I don't know if you had pleasure to, to play the win no. um, upon that reopening. You did not. Okay. 
Um, I did have a couple colleagues that were there for that opportunity. I was a little jealous of that one. Fazio <laughs> would probably be my favorite designer. But, yeah, I, I don't think that uh, that those courses are, are really made for somebody that's just looking for recreational golf. My further understanding that a lot of the tee times are filled by high roller comps. Right, and there was a rumor, and I did not include it in either of my stories about the win because I couldn't confirm them, but there there were rumors that because of the way that tee times are scheduled out, 30 days uh, if you are not staying at a wind resort or 90 days if you are staying at a wind resort you can schedule out there were rumors and i don't really believe them that michael jordan and bill clinton were turned away early at the wind because they had no tea times just wild well if michael and bill are turned away i'm skeptical <laughs> of our chances matt i think so credentialed or otherwise even uh, even the superintendent jason morgan hasn't had a chance to play he said i'm gonna let uh all of our paying customers have a chance at it before I hack away at it. Uh, one, one of the things that Fazio said, and, and we can kind of wrap up here, and, and Judd, thanks so much for hopping on the phone. If you put the economics of everything involved in that, the $550 greens fee, it's really not a high price because of the value of the real estate, the value of what was spent to build it, the value to maintain it, the cost to maintain it in this location is extremely high. It's shocking to me that a golf course exists in this location. And you can say that pretty much about any Vegas golf course. It's shocking that a course exists in that uh, agronomic environment. It's hot. It's a desert. It's surrounded by all sorts of other entertainment. It's just such a weird golf place, and yet it thrives so much. I haven't had opportunity. It's been a spell, but uh, interviewed Mr. Fazio on at least two, maybe three occasions. And he is not one to go negative. He's not one to uh, pick favorites. I think I asked that on every occasion. And maybe it's a a lame question, but given his portfolio, I think the question had some merit to pick this course over that course, try to rank them, and he would not go in that direction. So I guess it doesn't surprise me his defense of the price tag of those rounds. Um man by and large most of Fazio's courses I think we can say are going to be big ticket items sure or highfalutin private clubs they certainly here uh, are, are where I live save for one exception um, that wouldn't be exactly in the Coachella Valley Palm Springs area where I live but it's on the outskirts that's a public play town Fazio design but I could not get him to move too far off basically from superlatives any time that <laughs> I've interviewed him. And uh, there was courses. There was babies. It's like picking your kids. So I did respect how he spoke about those, and uh, I did respect the way that he spoke toward the people that hired him to uh, to do these undoubtedly lucrative jobs. He wasn't going to pick favorites, and he was in total defense of every course. And it is a miracle that any course exists in Las Vegas, but uh, that there are so many great ones is incredible. you have any plans to get out there again soon, Judd? I hope so. I probably won't name any of the names, but a few of the <laughs> gentlemen that uh, were uh, referenced and sourced in this article were kind enough to uh, extend an offer. 
which is probably a good thing, Matt. Uh, I'm on a real losing streak as it uh, pertains to Vegas now. I think I'm on <laughs> like a 13-trip losing streak. Mind you, I, I work as a freelance writer and a, and a radio host, so the loss the losses are are modest by uh, by probably most accounts. But when going there for a work venture, you probably don't want to just go home breaking even. Like you actually wanted to, you know, make a few dollars in profit for doing an article and not just give it all away to a video poker machine. So I might wait, uh, or if nothing else, but do get out there soon enough. I'll probably try to take take up these fellows on, on multiple offers to spend more time on the turf, less time at the table. Well, Judd Spicer, thanks so much for joining us for the first episode of Beyond the Page. If you have not received your November copy of Golf Course Industry yet, when you get it, Seeds of Distraction, Judd's feature story about golf in Las Vegas and some of the challenges faced there by superintendents, not faced by those in other parts of the country. Judd, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate you having me, sir. Welcome back to Beyond the Page, our final guest for this first episode, a wonderful regular columnist for Golf Course Industry Magazine, Matthew Wharton. He has a, had a fantastic rookie year in our pages. He is also, for another few weeks, the president of the Carolinas Golf Course Superintendent Association and, by day, the Golf Course Superintendent at Carolina Golf Club. Matthew, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Matt. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And you're on today. You have so much great stuff going on, and, and we're going to actually have another podcast available to folks to talk about your year as uh, president of the Carolinas GCASA. Uh, but for right now, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the column you wrote for the November issue where you and Mrs. Greenkeeper had the opportunity to head across the pond, and for you it was the second trip this year, you played how many holes of golf over a week, and you never took a cart, which sounds amazing. Uh, I played 99 holes over a period of six days in Ireland. It was my first ever trip to Ireland, first trip for the two of us to Ireland, and we had the time of our lives, uh, best trip we've ever been on by far. Now... The differences between driving in a cart, playing around with a cart, and walking are tremendous. I prefer walking. Uh, a lot of people, just for ease, I'm sure, take carts. But there's something to be said for playing not just one round, but six rounds of golf over a six-day span and walking the entire entire week. What struck you most about that week, other than the natural beauty of Ireland and the beauty of these beautiful beautiful old courses what what really stood out to you during that week for lack of better words it was just kind of like magical i didn't really care about my score or how i played i was just sort of focused on the moment on the setting the scenery the challenge in front of me trying to get my ball from point a to point b and then just enjoying everything about 
uh, the landscape, the weather. Uh, when we played Carn, I'm not exaggerating. The wind was blowing every bit of 40 miles an hour. <laughs> Sustained. It, I've never played in wind anywhere remotely close to that. Uh, and we, we laughed all the way around. It, it was kind of... Uh, and on that particular day, my playing companions were uh, Carla Soraya from Bell Reeve, mm-hmm. John, John Cunningham, uh, the uh, general manager at Aronaminc, and uh, Trip Trotter from uh, Syngenta. So, I mean, how could you not enjoy that experience uh, regardless of the fact that you were you know struggling to stay upright that sounds like a pretty fun foursome oh it was and uh, you know first and foremost I'd, i'll have to kind of back up and kind of give you a little bit of an explanation of the trip so this trip was put on by turfnet uh, they annually have what's called the turfnet members trip and they have partnered with syngenta who is a sponsor of their Superintendent of the Year Award. And I had the good fortune to be nominated and was a finalist for the Superintendent of the Year this this past year. Uh, The winner, rightfully so, was Carlos Soraya from Belle Reve. And Syngenta sponsors all expenses paid trip for the winner and a guest. And John was his guest. But the other finalists, we were all handed a letter and, and were told that, hey, we'd love to have you on the trip as well. Uh, you just got to pay your airfare, and we'll take care of the rest. So I told my wife, I was like, when will we ever have another opportunity to go to Ireland together <laughs> in such an affordable nature? So, you know, first and foremost, thank you to Syngenta and thank you to TurfNet for making this happen, along with the other sponsors on the trip. And so that's kind of how the whole thing started. You know, John Kiger from TurfNet, he is the travel agent. He sets the whole thing up. All you really have to do is just show up and enjoy yourselves and just kind of go with the flow. And that's, for a week, that's what we did, you know. That's tremendous. And what courses did you play while you were over there? We played Spanish Point, which is a nine-hole links, uh, sort of south of La Hinch, between La Hinch and Doombeg, on the day of arrival. And then... We played Doombag the next day, then La Hinch. La Hinch was my favorite of all. Uh, then we traveled north, and we played Karn, followed by Inniscrown. Then we traveled again farther north and went to the Rossapena Resort, where we played the Old Tom Morris Links. And there was a, originally we were scheduled to play the Sandy Hill Links the next day, but we played in... Uh, a lot of rain that day when we played the old Tom Morris links and that was day six. And a lot of people in the group were sort of, yeah, you know, maybe I could sit tomorrow out, so to speak. And so we kind of called an audible and we traveled down to Dublin earlier than anticipated. And some guys still went and played golf on that last day at another nine hole course, um, across the bay from Port Marnock, but I didn't play on that day. So, so Carlos had to get to 108 holes. You were content with 99. I was content with 99. I felt like that was a good number. <laughs> you know. You wrote in your column in the November issue, Guinness and thick, hearty vegetable soup with brown soda bread warm my bones following each round. I'm happy to report I didn't gain one pound whilst away. 
the power of walking between 8 to 10 miles each day over between and around the dunes. The power of regular exercise and being outdoors. You can eat almost anything you want. It was it was so true. I mean, the funny thing is, Matt, I was uh, I was eating each day things that I would probably avoid here at home. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're all we're all being taught nowadays to you know you know what's this and what's that, and so here I am having pints of Guinness and I'm having bread and but yeah, if you walk. If you walk every day and play, if you play golf every day and walk while you're doing it, you can you can eat and drink all you want. That's that, that's the secret to life, I guess. And based on on what you said, you were eating. I mean, Guinness, that's all natural. Vegetable soup, that's all natural. Brown soda bread, that's all natural. It's not like you're eating anything with big chemicals either. So you can kind of can load up on real food rather than load up on you know fake food, essentially. Well, I think even from my uh, earlier my trip earlier in the year to the UK, I think there's something to be said about um, wholesome, natural uh, ingredients. Yeah, you're de- you're definitely right about that. You mentioned that you went over with Mrs. Greenkeeper, and again, one more real quick quote from the column. I don't want to read too much or or give away too much. People still need to read your column every month in, in the magazine. I fell in love with my wife because we met on a golf course and loved to play golf together. Ireland showed me, despite our efforts to enjoy life, we haven't made enough time for ourselves. We're not getting any younger, and each year our skills and abilities deteriorate. But Lynx Golf is suited for all ages. You've talked about you loved the trip, obviously. What was her reaction to it? Oh, she absolutely loved it. And it was funny, too, because prior to the trip, she was really getting a little worried you know are you sure i'll be okay she doesn't do well in cold weather here at home and so she was a little concerned that it might be too cold or it might be too windy or the rain etc and she surprised herself and even me even even though i had faith in her she still surprised me i gotta tell you that woman walked 18 holes pushed pushed her clubs on a trolley for 18 holes at rasa penna in a driving rain and she played great and she was a real trooper and the other two guys in our group were just constantly like just uh cheering her on and rooting her on and just she was kind of uh, she surprised them as well as herself but she proved something to herself and i was just pr- proud of her i think for me i ended up getting so wet and couldn't hang on to the clubs by the end of the round that I was just content to just kind of watch her, and uh, it was um, it was really something special to experience together. And like you said, when are you ever going to have the opportunity to get back across the pond together at such an affordable rate where all you have to do is take care of your airfare? What a fantastic trip. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I would, uh, for anyone out there that happens to be a member of TurfNet, uh, when they when they come out with the TurfNet members trip, if if you've never been to uh, one of these destinations and it's some place that you thought that you might like to check out, I highly recommend it because you you're going to get. Uh, I guess the best way to describe, I think it was John Cunningham who said it's the sample platter. <laughs> uh, you know when when you when you think about you know we flew into Shannon and we spent two nights down in Lahinch and then we traveled up north and two nights at the Mount Falcon Estate and 
two nights at the Rossapena Resort and another night in Malahide before everybody flew home from Dublin. It was. It was a, it was a sampler platter. And I would, I would go back to Ireland in a heartbeat, and I wouldn't feel uneasy or uncomfortable at all about trying to plan my own trip and where to stay and where to go and what to do. Well, now you know your way around a little bit. Exactly. It's not that big. I mean, if you, think, if you really stop and break it down, the island as a whole, the country, is, it's not that large, so it's, it's fairly navigable. Tom Coyne did it on foot. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever read his book, A Course Called Ireland? Not that one, no. No. You read A Course Called Scotland? Okay, not that one either. Guy's probably read them. Uh, well, and he's working on a His current one that he's working on is A Course Called America. But, um, yeah, if, um, if you like golf and adventure, yeah, you should check those out. I will, and and a reading recommendation to every listener as well. Christmas is coming up, Hanukkah is coming up. If you want to get a book for a loved one, there are two recommendations from Matthew Wharton. Or if you want to read them yourself, uh, tell someone you love who uh, will get you a gift to get those for you. There you go. Matthew Wharton, you're taking care of uh, taking care of holiday shopping for everybody listening too. Well, you know, Black Friday's just around the corner. <laughs> Uh, so great to have you on. We'll have you back on Beyond the Page before too much longer. Uh, Matthew Wharton, the America's Greenkeeper column every month in Golf Course Industry Magazine, also the superintendent at Carolina Golf Club, and a renowned world traveler. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks you again, Matt. It's been fun. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of Beyond the Page, our new podcast here on the Superintendent Radio Network. Thanks again to Drew Miller, the leader of the Turf Grass Program at Brentsville High School, just outside Washington, D.C. Thanks to Judd Spicer, our contributing writer who traveled to Las Vegas to get the Sin City story from superintendents, and to America's Greenkeeper, Matthew Wharton, for his stories about his recent week abroad with Mrs. Greenkeeper in Ireland. Hope you had a great hour with us and hope to catch you again on Tartan Talks, Off the Course, Greens with Envy, and next month, the second episode of Beyond the Page.